As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Welcome back to the programme that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis. I'm Ruth Jackson, and before we dive into this week's show, I want to remind you about our book competition. To be in with a chance to win a copy of Alistair McGrath's seminal biography, C.S. Lewis, A Life, visit premierunbelievable.com slash C.S. Lewis book and sign up to our newsletter. But now for today's show. This is the third episode in our series on the thought, life and legacy of C.S. Lewis, and our focus here is on the Great War. Alistair, we spoke a little bit at the end of the last episode about Lewis's experience of getting into Oxford, but he didn't have a normal university experience straight away, did he? Because Oxford had become a military camp. Well, that's right. I mean, with the outbreak of the First World War, Britain changed completely and many Oxford colleges um, were converted for other uses. For example, many of them were turned into hospitals. Some of them were turned into military training camps because basically um, young men of, of um, service age were going into the army. And Lewis realised that either he would have to go into the army as a volunteer or possibly he'd be later conscripted. And Lewis, I think, really felt that he didn't have much option other than to volunteer for the British Army. And so basically in 1917, um, Lewis went to Oxford. He arrived in April of 1917. Um, and um, he, although he began his studies, um, really these were going nowhere because it was obvious that Lewis was going to, in effect, be taken out of Oxford and put into military service. So although Lewis was at Oxford, uh, at University College, he was also being trained at an officer cadet camp at Keble College. These are um, colleges not very far from each other. So Lewis lived at um, University College for quite a lot of time um, uh, and then trained at Keble College. So basically, Lewis was going to end up serving in the British Army and he would not be completing his Oxford education. So in effect, what was well, had been such a, an ambition on his part was not going to happen at all. So it was a very, very unsettling period for, for Lewis. And Lewis seems to hardly mention his experience of the First World War in, in much of his literature. Why, why do you think that is? It is very surprising. I mean, Lewis really doesn't talk about it very much. He talks a lot, as we've been actually mentioning in previous episodes, about his childhood. It's a safe place. Mm. Uh, The First World War was not a safe place. And I think that um, the easiest way of explaining this is simply to say it was so traumatic that Lewis did not want to relive that experience. And therefore, the best way of dealing with this is simply not to talk about it 
at all. And Lewis does talk in a rather curious way about a treaty with reality. What he means by that is a kind of arrangement he's made with himself, that there are certain things that are so painful, so um, unsettling, that remembering them uh, really triggers off panic. And Lewis therefore simply stopped this. It's all about to do with how you cope with um, uh, with trauma, and Lewis didn't really cope very well. So when you read Lewis's letters, when you read Lewis's um, writings, um, the First World War we know happened, but actually it, it isn't really referred to very much mm. at all. And why do you think Lewis was such a reluctant soldier? Well, because he wanted to be a scholar. That's very clear. Um, and this was getting in the way. And it was more than getting in the way. Lewis was perfectly clear that the casualty rates in the British army at this time were so high that if he went to war, he might not be coming back from war. So Lewis really was was was, was quite aware that A, um, he might not be living very much longer, and B, if he did survive, um, it was not entirely clear what form, if any, his future education would take. So really, Lewis found himself in a situation very similar to what he had experienced at school, namely, I've got to go through this, but I don't want to. It's going to be awful. So Lewis, I think, really was was feeling that this was this was basically thwarting any ambitions he had for the future. But of course, that was um, very, very common for many young British men at the time who felt that their futures really were in question or were simply being taken away from them altogether. And Lewis cultivated some really significant friendships at the time while he was training for the fields of France, didn't he? There was there was five key people. Um, he was one of five key people at Keeble, wasn't he? Yes, Lewis formed a, a, a limited number of friendships at Keeble. He mentions um, four other names. He says there were five of us and, and I'm the only one who actually came back. One of those five was Paddy Moore. Now, Paddy Moore is very important because, as I've been emphasising, Lewis was Irish, as was Paddy Moore, who came from um, Dublin. I mean, he moved to Bristol, but he had Dublin roots, and Lewis found here was someone he could talk to. So, basically, we have this very important um, Irish figure who Lewis suddenly feels he can relate to. And uh, Paddy Moore and Lewis were both training together at Keeble College. And in fact, um, Paddy Moore was living out of Keeble College, um, nearby university in Wellington Square in Oxford, with his mother, Mrs. Moore, who had, was divorced and had come in effect to make sure her son was all right during his time at Oxford. And Lewis got to know her as well. So again, we have an Irish link. And that Irish link is very, very important. It explains why Lewis was drawn to Paddy Moore rather than the other people who he knew around him, who were mainly from England. And basically, um, Paddy Moore would become Lewis's very best friend and confidant during that term. And also, Mrs. Moore became important in his life as well. And what was the pact that Lewis and Paddy Moore made while they were training together? As far as we can understand it, because it's actually very hard to just find the hard documentary evidence we'd like, but it seems to have been something like this. Uh, Lewis and Paddy Moore knew they'd be sent off to war, and Lewis had a widowed father, and Paddy Moore had a divorced mother. So they each had, if you like, one living relative. 
And they agreed with each other, as far as we can see, that if one of them did not come back from battlefield, then the other would look after the remaining parent. And that seems to have been um, uh, agreed between them without consultation with either Mrs. Moore or with Albert Lewis. But basically, it was a very significant um, pact because they clearly felt their parents needed looking after um, and they made this arrangement. And we're going to delve into Lewis's relationship with Mrs. Moore in, in a later episode. But what were Lewis's first impression of this Irish lady, in inverted commas, as he kind of, he, he quoted, he sort of referred to her as an Irish lady in a letter to his father, didn't he? That's right. Um, she was very hospitable. Um, and um, Lewis was clearly drawn to her as a person. Um, and um, you've got to bear in mind now, Lewis's mother had died. Lewis did not have a mother might we be looking at somebody who in effect looked after him as a mother during his time in Oxford mm. as well as Paddy, her own son. So you, know, you can easily see that this is two young men, one of whom is really the son of Mrs Moore, the other of whom almost seems to have become an adopted son. There's a very close relationship developing there. And it certainly helped Lewis cope with that very difficult time at Keeble College. Um, but it also, I think, brought him very close to Paddy Moore. He began to see almost in, in brotherly terms. Well, you talk there of a sort of quite familiar relationship. Do we know when that developed into something a bit more romantic? Well, this is difficult to assess um, because um, we don't have as much documentary evidence as we would like. There are hints of it in Lewis's writings about um, spending some time with Mrs Moore, um, showing her around, for example, his room at University College. Now, that is slightly unusual because um, normally um, women unaccompanied women like that would not be allowed into Oxford colleges, let alone into somebody's bedroom. So I'd have to say that, that there's clearly something slightly uh, interesting going on there. But certainly what you can say is that um, Lewis clearly found Mrs Moore to be a significant figure in his life, even though we don't quite understand what that significance fully was. Lewis, like numerous writers at the time, began to write some war poetry during his time at Oxford. Would you say just a little bit about those poems? Yes, Lewis began to write some poems in Oxford. I mean, I think Lewis really wanted to be a poet rather than just a writer, a, a poet. And the literary genre of war poets was beginning to become important in England around that time. And Lewis felt that might be something he could contribute to. So uh, that was one of the ambitions he began to nourish around this time. Um, why was he doing this? Well, I think it's partly because um, when Lewis actually went to war, he was sent off to um, France uh, in some satellite infantry in November 1917. Um, Lewis, I think, really was appalled by war. And also, I think it really validated his atheism. It made him feel, how on earth can God allow this awful mess to take place? It's a good reason for not believing in God. So his atheism is solidified by his war experience. So he writes poems about this awful experience in which he expresses his atheism, I think quite aggressively, actually, I have to say, you know, a sort of a you know, bloodstained God who allows this kind of thing to happen. So Lewis, I think, is beginning to think of himself as a future poet. 
I emphasize the word poet because, as we will see, that ambition is never fully actualized. But as I read Lewis, I see a writer who is inspired by poetic visions in his prose. So in effect, Lewis's prose is enriched by the poetic gifts he wanted to use fully for poetic purposes, but in the end used for writing very elegant and rich prose. Mm. And you mentioned there the fact that the war sort of in some ways really began to cement Lewis's atheism. But why do you think he was keen to hide that atheism from his father, Albert Lewis? Well, I think um, Lewis uh, had a difficult relationship with his father and did not want to break that relationship completely. And both um, Lewis's father and late mother were very, um, very active members of the Church of Ireland. Um, and um, Lewis knew how important their faith was to both of them. And I think he did not want to distress his father um, at this point. So I think basically Lewis just felt there were certain no-go areas in his own personal life. His, his atheism was one of them. His emerging and complex relationship with Mrs. Moore was clearly another. Um, but I think the real problem is that Lewis's father wasn't really someone that Lewis could share any kind of intimacy with. He rather shared them with Paddy, uh, but also, of course, with Arthur Greaves. Arthur Greaves becomes the only person who really is told that there is something going on with Mrs. Moore. And how do you think Lewis protected himself from some of those awful horrors that he saw around him while on active duty in France? Lewis, I think, um, like every uh, soldier in the British army during the First World War, found themselves traumatised by the experience. They did various things to try and help them cope with it. Some people read books, some people walked around the place. Lewis, I think, felt poetry would be a way of coping with this, being able to express his feelings of anger, righteous anger, but also deep anxiety about his own future. Um, in poetry. So if you like, one of the things, lessons that Lewis learned is that when you are going through a very difficult time, writing is a form of therapy. He would come back to that, I have to say, when um, his wife Joy died mm -hmm. in 1960. Again, uh, a grief observed is somebody consoling themselves through writing. But back in 1917, Lewis basically began to realise that writing things down was a way of controlling them, a way of mastering them, a way of saying, you are not going to dominate my life. I want to keep you at a distance. So if you like, it's, it's a, a coping mechanism. It's a way of trying to deal with trauma and prevent it from um, having the deep impact. I think Lewis felt that writing it down would externalize this fear of violence, otherwise it would be internalized and would probably cause them to really become very, very distressed indeed. And we're going to hear more about Lewis's experience at Oxford in due course, but it's fair to say that even in this strange post-war environment, he did really love Oxford, didn't he? Well, he did. And Lewis knew, if I survive this war, I'll be able to go back to Oxford and resume my studies. The question, of course, was, will I survive this war? Because that was something over which Lewis did not have control. Mm. 
And it was around this time, wasn't it, that Lewis seemed to have started expressing an interest in sadomasochism. Um, that might be a bit of a shocking revelation to some people who've come to know Lewis, perhaps through his later Christian writings. But what was going on here for Lewis? Well, Lewis does talk about certain things in his letters with um, <coughs> Arthur Greaves. And um, I think it's fair to say that Lewis was working through a number of things in his life at this time. Um, Lewis basically uh, is slightly um, opaque about what some of these things are. Um, but certainly Lewis is a young man who's going through um, a phase where he is not able to really express himself sexually and where he does himself seem to be working through um, some form of sadomasochism. Now, I, there's no criticism of Lewis whatsoever. It's just what he was going through as a man that may have been brought on by a very bad experience at school. Mm. I was hinting about this earlier when we talked about more than college. It's quite possible Lewis was more than bullied. He may have been sexually molested. But anyway, Lewis basically was, well, we would say messed up. Basically, he, he was struggling to cope with various things. And you're quite right. This is something he mentions in um, his writings at the time. And Lewis's um, flagellant fantasies weren't necessarily just limited to women, were they? No, um, he um, seems to engage in some minor flagellation with other students or officer cadets at the time and actually paid them to do so. Um, so clearly this is, this is part of who Lewis was at this time. Um, this is something, of course, he never mentions to his father, as you can understand. But Lewis is going through... Um, if you like, a very traumatic phase in his life. He has no mother. He's not been mothered very well. Um, his brother is away um, in the war. Lewis has no real friends in Oxford, apart from Paddy Moore and Mrs. Moore. And he is struggling as someone who is going through all sorts of phases and he's got nobody he can really talk to about these. So it is really quite a difficult time for Lewis. Um, as I read him, I sometimes feel that uh, that he's aware he's getting out of control mm -hmm. and is wondering what can be done about it. But there's really nothing can be done because, in effect, Lewis is going off to fight in France. And as you mentioned, he sort of opens up about some of these things to his friend Arthur Greaves. And I don't know whether it's in response to this or kind of unrelated, but Arthur Greaves then comes out as a homosexual to Lewis in his own writing. How did Lewis respond to this? Well, Lewis um, had very great respect for Arthur Greaves and actually was very fond of him. But it's interesting to note that while Lewis is very supportive of Arthur Greaves, he does drop the hint that he doesn't share these, these inclinations. Uh, and and it's quite clear Lewis does not see this as a problem for their friendship, but he wants Greaves to understand that, in effect, that the friendship continues, but it won't be perhaps the kind of friendship that Arthur Greaves might have hoped for. So I think, if you like, um, it's a recalibration of that relationship from a distance, because, of course, um, Lewis would not be able to see Arthur Greaves for some time. 
I suppose that's proof in itself that Lewis isn't, you know, a boring, dull Oxford scholar for anyone who might have that um, criticism to level against him. Actually, if you look at his letters and, and things like this, there's there's lots of exciting and, and relevant things that Lewis was talking about at the time, even, you know, 70, 80 years ago. Lewis was, in effect, facing up to a lot of challenges, a lot of um, relationship issues he was always trying to work through. I think, looking at Arthur Greaves, I mean, as I said, Arthur Greaves remained in touch with Lewis. They kept in touch. They visited each other for the rest of Lewis's life. This is a really important relationship. I think Lewis realizes an important relationship because he does not want anything to mess that relationship up. Well, we're going to carry on talking about lots of these exciting things going forward, but that's all we've got time for today. So, Alistair, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, as always. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson, and Professor Alistair McGrath. And don't forget, we're giving you the opportunity to get a free copy of Alistair's seminal biography, C.S. Lewis, A Life. To be in with a chance to win, visit premierunbelievable.com slash cslewisbook and sign up to our newsletter. That's premierunbelievable.com slash C.S. Lewis book. Thank you for listening and see you next time where we'll be hearing more from Alistair on the thought, life and legacy of C.S. Lewis. Thank you.